One particular wrote into a question and answer forum, and she asked the following question on this forum, quote, Dear Sir, our preacher said on Easter, Jesus did not rise from the dead, but just fainted on the cross, and the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? She signed her name, sincerely bewildered. She received the following reply, Dear Bewildered, beat your preacher with a cat of nine tails with 39 heavy strokes, nail him to a cross, hang him in the sun for six hours, run a spear through his side, put him in an airless tomb for 36 hours, and see what happens. Sincerely, Charles. That was a good response. And what he's basically saying, and this is a theory that liberals try to raise, it's called the swoon theory, that Jesus really never died, and so he never rose from the dead. They put him in this tomb, and the spices sort of revived him back. Well, this particular gentleman said, no, Jesus died, and Jesus literally rose from the dead. And as Christians, we affirm the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's the linchpin and foundation of Christianity. You could tamper with a lot of doctrines, but if you tamper with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have gutted Christianity. And so what are the consequences of denying the resurrection of Christ? We'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This morning we want to look at verses 1 through 34. For those of you who are visiting, we have been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, and my assignment is to look at verses 1 through 34. John is going to be looking at the rest of the chapter which is going to deal with our resurrection bodies. But for this morning, verses 1 through 34, and the title of this message is The Consequences of Denying the Resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you a little background as to why Paul had to deal with this particular topic. As you know, the Apostle Paul planted the church at Corinth, and this church wasn't a church that most pastors would want to have pastored because it was a very difficult congregation. They had a lot of ethical problems, as John has chronicled for us in the previous months, but they also had doctrinal and theological problems. And one of the doctrinal problems that they were dealing with in Corinth was this idea of the resurrection. Now remember, Corinth was situated in a Greek culture, and the Greeks had a particular worldview that said this, matter is evil and spirit is good. It was a form of Gnosticism. And basically, since the body is made up of matter, it's evil. Your spirit is what is good. And so this idea of Christians rising from the dead on the day of judgment and receiving a new resurrected body was foreign to the Greeks. In fact, they saw that as something that is not advantageous. They would say the whole purpose is to liberate your spirit from your body. And so the Corinthians, like they did many other things throughout the book, had bought into this worldview, and they were denying that Christians were going to receive a resurrected body. And so what the Apostle Paul says is, have you considered the implications of that view? Because if Christians are not going to rise from the dead physically, the implication is Jesus did not rise from the dead physically. In fact, if you look at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 and 16, you'll notice it up on the screen, he makes this argument. He says, now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection from the dead? He says, we preach Christ raised from the dead. How are some of you denying the resurrection of Christ? 
He says, if the dead are not raised, if Christians are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And so what he's going to do in the rest of the chapter is he's basically going to give arguments for the resurrection of Christ, but he's going to look at it in a negative way, and he's going to give us the consequences of denying the resurrection. Now, this is very, very important for us because the reason why we gather on Sunday morning is because we believe Jesus has risen from the dead. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, our faith, as we're going to see, is a sham. And so what are the consequences of denying the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? A lot of Ivy League schools today that once were missionary training schools, many of them deny the physical resurrection of Christ. They say it was a spiritual event. They say it didn't happen historically. It was all in the disciples' mind. Well, Paul's going to share with us several consequences of denying the resurrection. Let me share them with you. Number one, you cannot be saved. If you deny the resurrection of Christ, you cannot be saved. Notice, if you will, verses 1 and 2. He says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and which also you took your stand. He says, I'm going to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you when I came into Corinth in Acts chapter 18. I'm going to remind you. And this gospel, verse 2, by which also you are saved, but notice the condition he gives. They're saved if, there's the condition, you hold fast to the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. In other words, if you once said you believe the resurrection and now you deny the resurrection, he's saying ultimately you believed in vain. You cannot be saved. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And then he says to the Corinthians and you and I, your faith is also in vain. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. And so Paul is telling the Corinthians and you and I that if you and I deny the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, we cannot become born-again Christians. In fact, isn't that what Romans chapter 10 says? If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, that is the critical component of how a person is born again, is they must affirm the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As you know, I like to engage in internet debates and my goal is obviously not to win an argument, but I want to move people from their positions, especially if they're agnostic or they're atheist. And recently, I posted something, and I got into a discussion with an atheist, and I asked him who he thought Jesus was, and you'll notice it up on the screen. Here is what he said, quote, I do not believe in your God or any others. God is the product of primitive minds who sought explanations for things they could not understand. Therefore, so very simple, a small child should understand it, even if it befuddles you. No God means no begotten son. Jesus might have been an Essene. He was certainly no demigod, which is what the definition of his nature was supposed to be. Like Hercules in Greek mythology, Lydda, his mother, was impregnated by a god, Zeus. He grew up to be more than human. Hercules also died and was put into heaven, or the stars at least, by his father. He had more than human powers. He was capable of dying. Hence, we get Jeshua, or Jesus. Jesus is a Latin perversion of the name for Joshua, the English equivalent. Jesus as the son of a God is more fantasy. It is likely that religious belief 
will eventually be classified as a mental illness, maybe not in our life, but soon enough. And so basically, he denies Jesus is the Son of God. He's no different than Greek mythology, and obviously, this idea of a resurrection is ludicrous. Well, my response to him was the following. What is the evidence the gospel writers lied about Jesus' identity, and the New Testament documents are inaccurate? What evidence do you have the resurrection was fabricated? Because again, if the resurrection was fabricated, it didn't happen, you can't be saved. Liberal scholars, I told him, believe the tomb was empty, but they have alternate explanations as to why the tomb was empty. Gary Habermas, I went on to tell this guy, he's a resurrection expert, has completed the most comprehensive investigation to date on what scholars believe about the resurrection. He collected more than 1,400 of the most critical, critically scholarly works on the resurrection written from 1975 to 2003. He says, all scholars, from liberals to Bible-thumping conservatives, agree on a number of historical facts. There are 12 of these historical facts that conservatives and liberals agree on. One of those facts is this. Jesus' tomb was found empty very soon after his death. The disciples had experiences that they believed were actual appearances of the risen Savior and were transformed by them and were willing to die for them. And so here was my question to him. What's your explanation of the empty tomb? In other words, the tomb was empty. Either Jesus rose from the dead or you have to come up with some other naturalistic explanation because the resurrection was supernatural. You don't see resurrections every day. Well, of course, there were crickets because he never responded. I never got an answer. And see, the point that I'm underscoring is this. If you deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that it's a historical event, you cannot become a born-again Christian. And so you have to wrestle with the evidence yourself. There's a second consequence that Paul gives us of denying the resurrection, and that is this. You destroy the gospel message. He says this in verse 3 all the way to verse 11 as he's talking to the Corinthians. He says, Corinthians, I delivered to you, verse 3, as of first importance what I also received. He says, I passed on to you what was given to me. Well, what did Paul pass on to the Corinthians that was given to him? Here it is, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried, verse 4, and notice what also he was raised on the third day according to the Scripture. You see, that's the essence. That's the kernel of the gospel message. And not only that, there was confirmation that Jesus Christ rose from the dead because in verse 5, it says he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, then to the 12 disciples. After that, verse 6, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remained until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James then to all the apostles, and in verse 8, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also, you know, on the road to Damascus. He says in verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles and do not, and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. He says in verse 11, whether then it was I or it was the apostles, we preach and you believed. And what he's saying here is, look, I passed on to you, Corinthians, what was given to me, 
And what was given to me was this. Jesus died. He was buried. He rose from the dead. And he made all these appearances to other people, over 500 witnesses. Imagine in a court of law, if you had that much testimony, a person would be convicted of a crime. And so he says, that's the gospel, gospel message that I passed on to you, Corinthians. And so what he's basically saying here is if you deny a physical resurrection of Jesus, you gut the gospel. You basically deny the gospel message that teaches Jesus Christ arose from the dead. What, years ago, I was in a Best Buy, and I was talking to one of the workers there, and I don't remember how I got in the conversation with him, but I turned the conversation to a spiritual topic. And then I asked him this question, who do you think Jesus is? Do you think he's Lord, liar, or lunatic? That's the trilogy that C.S. Lewis gave, Lord, liar, lunatic. We know Jesus wasn't a legend because we have 10 sources outside of the Bible that confirm that Jesus lived historically. I said, so which one of those do you believe? He said, well, I believe Jesus is Lord. I said, well, as Lord, Jesus claimed to be the only way and he died and rose from the dead. And he said, unless you repent and trust in him, you will not have eternal life. He said, well, I have a problem with that. I said, well, what's the problem? He says, I don't believe Jesus is the only way. I said, well, then you don't believe he's Lord. Because if you believe he's Lord, you're going to believe what he says. He said, well, wait a minute. He goes, I'm confused. He says, there's so many world religions out there. He says, how do I know this is the truth? I said, let me help you. What distinguishes Christianity from every world religion is two things. Number one is you're saved by faith alone. It's not by works. See, every other religious system out there teaches that you earn salvation, however they define salvation, as something that is achieved. Christianity says you can't earn it, you can't deserve it. It's simply by trusting in Christ and receiving salvation as a gift. I said, so that's what distinguishes Christianity from every other world system. Theirs is work, works-based, ours is not. And secondly, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I said, every religious leader is still in dead. I said, Jesus Christ has arisen from the dead. And I said, that's what distinguishes Christianity. And listen, if you deny the resurrection, you basically gut the gospel. Because the essence and the kernel of the gospel is Jesus died, he was buried, and he arose from the dead. Well, there's a third consequence of denying the resurrection, and that is you deny the Scripture. This is somewhat self-evident, but Paul alludes to this in verses 3 and 4. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Here it is, according to the Scripture. Verse 4, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. He says it again, according to the Scripture. You see, the Scripture affirms that Jesus Christ would rise from the dead. You said, well, where does the Scripture affirm that? Well, if you read the Old Testament, obviously Paul here is referring to the Old Testament, giving prophetic statements that Jesus would die, that he would be buried, and he would rise from the dead. If you read Psalm 16, if you read Psalm 22, if you read Isaiah 53, it clearly says that Jesus would rise from the dead as well as die. In fact, Jesus affirmed this after his resurrection. Do you remember he appeared to two people on the road to Emmaus? Here is what he told them because they were struggling with the events of the crucifixion. He said to these two individuals on the road to Emmaus, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He says, why didn't you believe the Old Testament? Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? 
And beginning, here it is in verse 27, with Moses and all the prophets, the law and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the Scripture concerning himself. And so Jesus basically said, look, the Old Testament prophesies not only my death, but also my resurrection. And so Paul is telling the Corinthians that Jesus rose from the dead according to the Scripture. And so the implication is, if you say there is no physical resurrection, what you're basically saying is the Old Testament lied. You're saying God is a liar. And that's one of the greatest proofs that the Bible is the Word of God and is set apart from every other religious book is the fact that the Bible makes prophecies that have been fulfilled. For example, look at the screen. You'll notice this chart up here. Chart. There it is. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus. Some of the prophecies are the place of his birth, the time of his birth, the manner of his birth, his betrayal, his death, people's reactions, piercing his side, his burial. Well, one thing they don't list here is his resurrection. That's also prophesied in the Bible. And they say the probability of any one person fulfilling all eight of these prophecies is one in 10 to the 17th power. That's one in, and I'm not going to quote that because I'm not a mathematician. But you get the point here. That's one of the evidences that the Bible can be trusted is it makes prophecies that have been fulfilled. And so to say that Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, we're basically saying that the Old Testament lied. There's a fourth consequence of denying the resurrection of Christ, and that is evangelism is a waste of time. This gets more into the shoe leather, shoe leather the nitty-gritty of our faith here. Evangelism is a waste of time. Why do it? Why do all the outreaches at Calvary here? Well, he says this in verse 13 and 14, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is what? In vain. In other words, if you try to reach out to your family members, your coworkers, your friends, all the people that over the years you have wanted to come to faith in Christ and you've shared, all the outreaches that we do and other ch churches do, see, all of that is a fool's errand. It's a fool's errand to engage in that because it is a waste of time if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. But you and I know that we are called to reach out to people and we're called to share the gospel with them. We did this often when I was in New Jersey pastoring there. We would go once a month to South Street in Philadelphia. In fact, you'll notice the pictures up here. This is South Street. Go back real quick. We met right here in this area as a group and then we'd walk down these streets right here, and we'd do some evangelism. Now, this is a kind of a unique area. You could get cheesesteaks there and all that good stuff. We'd go out and evangelize, and we would go out to eat as a group. And by the way, one of the restaurants we went to, this is called John's. You know who this guy is? I know you can't see the picture, but this is, um, this is Larry, one of the three stooges. This actually is where he was born up here. And so they turned it into a restaurant called John's. So we would eat there. But we would go to South Street and we would encounter atheists, agnostics, Catholics, Buddhists. And so we would engage in all these great conversations. Well, yesterday I was at home, bing, my phone goes off. I look at the text and here's what it says. It was from one of the leaders in the church that I left in Philly. He said, his name is Louie. He said, Mike, Paul Jackson, Bill, Kim and I, just witnessed on South Street in Philly. He said, collectively, we prayed for and shared the gospel with over 20 people, end quote. I responded, great job, Louie. 
glad the work is continuing. But you see, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, what they were doing is wasting their time and their energy. But you and I know it's not a waste of time because Jesus Christ did rise from the dead, and you and I are to be intentional about reaching out to lost people. Now, not all of us have the gift of evangelism. I understand that. And, but we're all called to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And so evangelism is a waste of time if Jesus did not rise from the dead. There's a fifth consequence of denying the resurrection, and that is dead Christians are in hell, not in heaven. Imagine that. People that you think are in heaven, loved ones that you think are in heaven, children that you think are in heaven, they're really not if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. He says in verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep, fallen asleep is a euphemism for death. It's a gentle way because the person looks like they're asleep. He says, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have what? Have perished. They're really in hell. They're not in heaven. We're living under a false assumption. We're living under a false delusion. Years ago, one of my elders in New Jersey asked me to do the funeral of his mother. His mother was a committed believer. She died. And so we had the funeral at our church. And I got up and I preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and I explained to the church that Barbara Winter was a committed Christian and Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and unless you repent and trust in him, you will not have eternal life. Funerals are the best place to preach the gospel. So we went to the gravesite, and when I got done, I felt somebody tap me on my shoulder and she said, you know, I heard everything you said at the church. I said, yeah. She said, I want you to know it offended me. I've never had that happen before. I thought she was going to say something encouraging. She said it offended me. I said, well, I tend to do that to people. <laughs> I said, well, wh why did it offend you, ma'am? She said, well, I just think it was inappropriate. I said, what was inappropriate? She said to tell people that Jesus is the only way. She goes, that is not the place to talk about that. And I said, well, I, th I disagree with you. I think Barbara Wenner would have wanted me to talk about that because she was a committed believer. And ultimately, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then Barbara Winter is not in heaven. She's in hell. And you see, that's what Paul is saying. We're under this delusion that people who die go to heaven when, in fact, they do not. Well, there's a sixth consequence of denying the resurrection of Christ, and that is we bear false witness about God. We bear false witness about God. Look what he says in verse 15. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we have testified or told other people against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. Now listen, the Bible says we're not to bear false testimony against one another. But imagine bearing false testimony against God. If we go around telling people that God raised Jesus from the dead, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we're basically saying God is a liar and we're misrepresenting God. I had to take my car in this week to get some minor repairs, and uh, the technician was in the truck with me. So we started talking. And at some point during the conversation, he brings out the phrase, religious relics. I went, oh. I said, it's time to go in for the kill. <laughs> religious relics. And so I asked him, are you religious? And then began the conversation, who do you believe Jesus is? And so we began to talk about it. And I said, listen. I've done 20 years of research, and I said, let me tell you what, the only reason I am a Christ follower 
is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I told this gentleman, I cannot disprove the resurrection. Now, do I have absolute certainty that Jesus rose from the dead? No, no one does. Because we don't have absolute knowledge. We don't deal in the realm of absolute certainty. We deal in the realm of probability. What is the probability based on the New Testament documents, based on forensic evidence? What is an eyewitness testimony? What is the probability Jesus rose from the dead? It's overwhelming. And I said, that's why I'm a Christ follower. But you see, I was bearing false witness in that truck that day by telling this particular gentleman the reason I'm a Christ follower is because Jesus rose from the dead. I was basically lying and misrepresenting God if, in fact, Jesus did not rise from the dead. And so are you. You're a false witness when you leave here and you tell other people Jesus rose from the dead. You're lying. You see the implications of that? Well, there's a seventh consequence of denying the resurrection that Paul gives here, and that is we have no future hope. We only hope in this life. He says in verse 19, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pity. If our hope is only in this life and there is no hope in the next life, he says basically we're to be pitied, we're to be felt sorry for. You see, if there is no resurrection, people, listen, there is no hope beyond this life. And I don't know about you, but you know what drives me is hope. You know what hell is? Hell is hopelessness. That's why hell is so tormenting, because God quarantines you. God isolates you. You say, why would a loving God do that? Listen, God doesn't want to do that, but he can't allow unforgiven sinners in his presence because he's holy. So what he does in hell is he quarantines you out of his presence. And you know what hell is? It's hopelessness. It's conscious hopelessness. You know what? A person can keep going on if there's a glimmer of hope. But as Christians, we have hope. We know that after this life, there is a coming life. And you see, the Bible promises us an eternal hope. Now, in the Bible, when it talks about hope, hope in the Bible is not, well, I hope it rains today or I hope it doesn't rain. That's kind of wishy-washy. That's not hope in the Bible. Hope is a confident assurance that God will give me what he has promised. And you know how God is going to deliver on my future hope? God has given me an engagement ring. You know, when you get married, you make a promise to that person, you make a pledge, and one of the ways you show that promise or pledge is you put an engagement ring on there, and what you're saying is there's more to come. Well, that's exactly what God does. God gave us an engagement ring to guarantee our future hope that He's going to marry us in the future, because the Bible talks about the, the wedding supper of the Lamb. We're the bride of Christ. He's the bridegroom. He's going to consummate the marriage in eternity. You say, Mike, what is the engagement ring? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's deposit living on the inside of us, guaranteeing our future hope. And that's why it says in Ephesians 6, in the battle of the warfare that we're dealing with, the struggles of life, and all of us at times are tempted to quit and go, this is too hard. He says, put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. Why? Because when I have hope, you know what it does? It enables me to persevere in the battle. I don't quit because I know I have a future hope. But Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, we're not like the rest of the world that has no hope. Audrey Hepburn some of you know who she is. She was interviewed in 1990. She died in 93. Here's what she said, quote, I'm what is known as gradually disintegrating. I don't fear the next world or anything. I don't fear hell, and I don't look forward to heaven, end quote. She has no hope. And listen, this is where non-believers are. They have no hope. Even people that believe in God to some extent, 
when you talk to them, they really don't have any confident assurance. And I can tell you this, if I had no hope beyond this life, it would be depressing. Think about us. We have a lot of good experiences in America. We're wealthy. We have a lot of what life can afford us. But imagine people in other countries that live at a poverty level, that have nothing, that suffer. Listen, you know what gives the people in North Korea hope, the Christians there? They have nothing. They have been stripped of everything. But I'm going to tell you, they have more joy than us because they know where they're headed, even though they have nothing. And so if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, there is no future hope. Well, there's an eighth consequence of denying the resurrection, and that is we have no reason to live sacrificial lives. Why sacrifice? Look what he says in verse 29 through 32. Otherwise, he says... If there is no resurrection, he tells the Corinthians, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? In other words, why go through the trouble of being baptized for the dead? Now, this passage is one of the more cryptic passages in the Bible. We really don't know what Paul is talking about here. Obviously, the Corinthians did. We don't have enough historical information, and there is a lot of different views on what Paul could be referring to here, let me tell you what he's not talking about. He's not talking about what the Mormons practice. It's called proxy baptism. And they baptize for other people for their salvation. No, the Bible doesn't teach that. Salvation is an individual decision. It could be that Paul here is dealing with a practice in the early church where if a person came to Christ and they were martyred for their faith, another Christian would be baptized in their stead, not for salvation, but in order to have that experience of salvation because that Christian couldn't have been baptized. We really don't know. He could be confronting a cultic behavior in Corinth. But his point is nevertheless the same. He's like, what's the point? If Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, why be baptized for the dead? And then he says it even more stringently, why are we also, verse 30, in danger every hour? You know this from the book of Acts. Paul faced danger all the time. He says in verse 31, I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, I die daily. He says, I die to myself. I crucify the flesh. He says, I live for the Lord, or it could mean here he dies daily and that his life was threatened on a daily basis. He says in verse 32, if From human motives, I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus. What does it profit me? In other words, if I wrestled with people, that's the wild beast here. He's not talking about animals here. He's talking about people that oppose Christianity. He says, if I've gone through all that stuff of putting up with people and rejection and all that stuff, he goes, what's the point if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead? And so here's the point for you and I, people. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, why sacrifice? Why give? Why give your time? Why give your money? Why help other people? Why turn the other cheek? Why forgive that person? Why do all these things? You say, yeah, but Mike, there are benefits even if you're not a Christian. That is true. There are some benefits when you give. Jesus said it's more blessed to give and receive, and even non-believers have discovered that principle. But ultimately, as Christians, why do we sacrifice our time, our treasures, our talents, and all these things, why do we pay a price? And there are other Christians that are paying a far higher price than you and I. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, we are wasting our time. I often tell people, I use Pascal's wager. I say to them, if they're non-believers, I say, look, if you're right and I'm wrong, I say, I've lost nothing. On the other hand, if I'm right and you're wrong, you've lost everything. Well, that's not totally true. 
because I've lost some things for following Jesus. Now, I haven't lost a lot because I still lived a good life. It's good to live a ethical life, but I've lost some things in serving Christ. How many vacations could I have taken off that tithe money? You can go on and on and on. You've lost. How about Tim Tebow? Most of us know who he is. Played at University of Florida. I remember him because I'm a big Miami Hurricane fan, and I remember those two played. And uh, he had this verse right here on, under his eyes. He also had John 3.16, and they said after the game, I don't know if it was college, I think it was the NFL that he had John 3.16. They said a lot of people Googled John 3.16, and so he gave the gospel silently. And by the way, somebody came up to me after the first service and said, Mike, did you know that when he put John 3.16 under his eyes, they said after that game, he was told that every one of his stats, every one of them was 3.16. Isn't that weird? Well, it's providence. Well, here's what people don't know about Tim Tebow. He's playing uh, baseball now, minor league. Go to the next slide. Tim Tebow helps disadvantaged children. One of the things he does is he helps orphans in four different countries. He provides medicine, food, clothes, education. He does a lot of that. In fact, this was in the news this week. This, this boy right here has a disease where you can see where, how his legs are, and Tim Tebow's organization and foundation actually corrected the problem for the boy so that he could walk. He actually has a prom for a number of these teenagers that have physical disabilities. He rolls out a red carpet. He's there. He treats them like gold. Listen, everyone knows Tim Tebow. I've heard pagans on the internet go, that guy's a great guy. He has a great testimony. But you know what? All his work, all his sacrifice, all your work, all your, it's in vain if Jesus did not rise from the dead. Conversely, if Jesus Christ did rise from the dead, are you listening? Say amen. amen. We need to sacrifice more. And you know, in the American church, we have an aversion to sacrifice. We struggle. Why? Because all of us, including myself, we're too comfortable. We like our creature comforts. We're addicted to our creature comforts. And any pain, we tend to recoil. And a lot of times people struggle. And so my encouragement to you is step up your game. I need to step up my game. Now, it doesn't mean you kill yourself, but it does mean we sacrifice for the Lord. So if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead then sacrificing is a waste of time. There's a ninth consequence of denying the resurrection of Christ, and that is it leads to the pursuit of pleasure in sinful living. I mean, this is the, this is the converse of the previous point. If I'm not going to sacrifice because, hey, Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then what should my philosophy in life be? Epicureanism. He says in verse 32, if the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. He's quoting Isaiah 22:13 there. In other words, live it up. Squeeze every bit of pleasure out of life that you can. When you die, you become worm food. Become a consummate hedonist. He says in verse 33 to the Corinthians, stop being deceived. Your mind is being deceived. And here he's going to quote a Greek poet by the name of Menander. Here's the quote. He tells the Corinthians, bad company corrupts good morals. See, that's the point. If you deny the resurrection and you're hanging around people that are teaching that theology and you buy into it, it's going to corrupt you and it's going to corrupt how you live. Listen, people that don't believe there is a God, there are no moral absolutes, there is no resurrection, there is no afterlife. Listen, why not live for pleasure? Why not live for self? 
You only go around once, you hear in our culture. He says to the Corinthians in verse 34, become sober-minded. He's like, come on, guys, stop this thinking. Sober up in your mind and stop sinning by buying into this theology. For some have no knowledge of God, and he says, I speak this to your shame. He's like, you got to repent of this bad theology and this corrupting influence. And so listen, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, you know what? Party it up. Party it up. Obviously, you want to have balance because we see people that party it up and they go to one extreme and they have problems in their life. But listen, if there is no resurrection from the dead, sleep with whoever you want to sleep with. Do whatever you want to do. Don't get caught. See, that's the mindset of our time. On the other hand, if there is the resurrection of the dead, there is coming a day of judgment, there is coming a day of accountability, and our goal is not to live for pleasure. Now, there's nothing wrong with pleasure inherently. Why? Because God created sex. If God was against pleasure, He wouldn't have created it. So pleasure in of itself is not bad, it's whether or not we live for pleasure, and this is the problem. Most of you know Hugh Hefner, he was the king of pursuing pleasure, was he not? He was a consummate hedonist. And I don't know if you know this, but I was reading, they did a, a thing on his genealogical line, and he actually comes from the Puritans. Now, tell me that isn't ironic. Well, you know, his mother wanted him to be a missionary, and he actually did become a missionary, but not the kind of missionary his mother wanted him to be. He actually spread the gospel of free sex. Well, here's what's interesting. Lee Strobel, who was an apologist, who wrote a case for Christ, case for a creator, he had a ministry where they would interview people, and he had an opportunity to go into the Playboy Mansion. Now, Hugh Hefner came out in his bathrobe, and he wanted to give Lee Strobel and his team a tour, and they said, no, thank you. But he sat down with Hugh Hefner, and Lee Strobel interviewed him and asked him questions, and Lee Strobel was able to give him the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Here is what Hugh Hefner said, quote, the God of Christianity is a little too childlike for me. However, Lee Strobel went on to say that Hugh Hefner was intrigued by the resurrection. And Hugh Hefner said, quote, if the resurrection were true, it would drop a series of dominoes that would prove a number of theological claims, including the existence of an afterlife, end quote. Unfortunately, I don't think he died knowing Jesus Christ. And listen, all that stuff he did and the lives he destroyed, what does it matter now? Can't take it with you. And so what Paul is saying here is, look, if there is no resurrection from the dead, he's saying, basically, you and I need to pursue pleasure and sinful living. Get all the gusto out of life you can. Well, as we wind down, there's a couple of more consequences of denying the resurrection Number 10 in our little list, it eliminates believers' resurrection. He says in verse 20 and 22, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. He's basically affirming the positive here. He looked at the negative. Now he's saying, Corinthians, Christ has been raised from the dead. And notice what he says, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man, verse 21, came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, verse 22, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Let me untangle that for you. What he's basically saying is this. You have two federal heads. One federal head is Adam, and the other is Christ. You have the first Adam, and you have the second Adam. The first Adam, by his one act, 
brought death to the whole human race. And everyone has been infected by the first Adam and his sin. We're born sinners. We're sinners by nature and choice, and we're going to die. The second Adam brought life to those who trust in him, and the second Adam rose from the dead, so his resurrection guarantees our resurrection because he's the first fruits. And so you have two federal heads, both of them made decisions that have impact for time and eternity. And what he's saying here is that Jesus' resurrection guarantees our resurrection. On the converse, if Jesus did not rise from the dead physically, then you and I are not going to get a resurrected body. And I know some of you are going, man, I need one. I don't like the way I look. I don't like my health. It kind of reminds me of the lady. Uh, she died and she went to heaven and she stood before the Lord and the Lord says, I'm giving you 20 more years. She pops back in her body. She wakes up, gets out of the hospital. She says, I'm 20 more years. So she goes and she gets a total makeover. Does her hair, dyes it, plastic surgery, does all the things that she's supposed to do. Two weeks later, she gets in a car accident and dies. She goes to heaven and she says, Lord, you told me I had 20 more years. And the Lord says, I didn't recognize you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Listen, Jesus' resurrection guarantees our resurrection. Finally, Paul says, if you deny the resurrection, it eliminates God's resurrection plan. Now, this passage here gets a little bit complicated uh, again, this section, John would agree with me on this. You, you could spend at least a six-week series on this because there's so much truth. He says in verse 23, here he's going to talk about the order of God's plan in terms of the resurrection. He says in verse 23, but each in his own order. What's the order? Well, Christ, the first fruits, he's the first one. After that, those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end in verse 24 when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father when he has abolished all rule and authority and power for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. Verse 27, for he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is expected who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, verse 28, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. You say, what is he talking about? Well, listen, you have to bring in other passages of Scripture. Whenever you interpret the Bible, you have to look at the totality of Scripture in order to form a more complete theology. But here is basically what Paul is saying in terms of God's resurrection plan. Pictures speak of a lot of words here. You have two resurrections in the Bible mentioned in the book of Revelation. John mentions the first resurrection and the second resurrection. Now, if you take the totality of the Bible, the first resurrection has three stages to it. First stage is Christ. He rose from the dead. That's not to say other people in the Old Testament didn't rise, but it's saying here, he's the first fruits. Then, and that, now we're in this age right here on the bottom, the church age, then what's going to happen is the harvest. This is stage two. This is at the rapture, where the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we who are alive will be caught up, 1 Thessalonians 4. His resurrection here guarantees our resurrection. That's going to happen before the seven-year tribulation, stage two. We're going to be resurrected, and we're going to be up here in heaven. 
Then the seven-year tribulation happens. At the end of that seven-year tribulation, it says in the Bible and other passages that those who are killed during the tribulation, they're going to be raised at the end of the seven years, as well as Old Testament saints. So that's the first resurrection. There's three stages to it. Then Jesus Christ comes back, and then we enter the thousand-year millennial kingdom right here. At the end of the thousand-year millennial kingdom, there is the second resurrection. This resurrection is strictly for non-believers. This resurrection here is for Christians. This is for non-Christians. It happens at the end of the millennial. All non-Christians at all times, of all times, they will be raised and they will be given a new body to suit their new environment in hell, and that'll happen at the great white throne judgment. Now, here's what Paul is saying. At the end of this, when this happens, the second resurrection at the end of the millennial, God's going to create a new heaven and a new what? Earth. And then what he's saying is Jesus is going to take all, he's going to take the kingdom and he's going to hand it over to God so that God would be all in all. Now, cultists will use this passage to say, see, that proves Jesus is less than God because he's going to turn it over to God, and Jesus is going to be subject to God. Therefore, Jesus is not equal to God. JWs will use this. Well, listen, you have to understand what he's saying here. Jesus and the Father are equal, but in terms of role, Jesus came to be the suffering servant. And ultimately, even Jesus came in submission to his Father. Submission does not mean Jesus is not equal to the Father. It means they had a different role. For example, are wives any less important than husbands in the marriage relationship? Men, you better say yes. <laughs> wives and husbands are equal, right? In terms of essence, in terms of value, God puts them on equal plane. But in terms of function or role, wives are called to submit to their husbands and husbands are called to lead and love their wives. You see, that's the same thing in the Trinity. Marriage is a picture of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they're all equal, but in terms of function and role, the Son came as the suffering servant, and what he's going to do here in 1 Corinthians is he hands over the kingdom to God so that God would be all in all. And so here's the point, people. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, this resurrection plan right here, it's not valid. It's not valid. You say, Mike, when am I going to get resurrected? At the rapture? You say, when's the rapture? I don't know. The signs are imminent. There are no prophecies that have to be fulfilled for the, for the rapture to happen, so we're awaiting. And when it happens, it's going to happen faster than it takes light to hit your pupil. That's what it means in the twinkling of an eye. And so, are there consequences for denying the resurrection of Jesus Christ? You bet. Here's what they are. You cannot be saved. You destroy the gospel message. You deny the scripture. Evangelism is a waste of time. Dead Christians are in hell, not in heaven. You bear false witness about God. You have no future hope. You have no reason to live a sacrificial life. It leads to the pursuit of pleasure and sinful living. It eliminates believer's resurrection, and it eliminates God's resurrection plan. But I affirm with Paul, Jesus, in fact, did rise from the dead. You say, Mike, do you have absolute proof of that? No, I do not have scientific proof. But listen, not everything is subjected to the scientific method because I cannot repeat the resurrection. I cannot use empirical science to prove the resurrection, but I can use forensic science, and there is a difference between empirical science and forensic science. There is eyewitness testimony. There is the credibility of the New Testament documents and that Jesus changed my life. 
And so Jesus Christ did in fact rise from the dead. And if you don't know him this morning, he invites you to come and to place your faith in his death and resurrection. Repent of your sin and trust in him and he'll forgive you of all your sins. But the Bible says if you say no to the resurrection of Christ, when you take your last breath, God has to quarantine you. And he doesn't want to do that. And listen, people, if you affirm the resurrection as I do, you know what? This is a challenge to us at Calvary Chapel. We need to operate in resurrection power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you and I, and we need to be a sacrificial church. And so what's the next step for you? We're all at different levels of growth. What is the next step that God is calling you to? What is God prompting you to do? How is he calling you to greater sacrifice? You see, God doesn't want Sunday Christians only. God doesn't want us to sit, soak, and sour. He doesn't want couch potato Christians. He wants Christians that are going to serve him faithfully. Listen, I'm not where I need to be, but I'm not where I used to be. And ultimately, God wants to take you to that level. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word to us. Thank you for reminding us of the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we know it's the linchpin of Christianity. Father, we know that if Jesus did not rise from the dead... Our gathering here is nothing but a social club. We're a country club with the cross. Help us, Lord God, to follow you. And Lord, I'm reminded of that hymn that says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. No matter what is going on in my life, no matter the struggle, the difficulty, the confusion, because Jesus lives, I can face tomorrow. Because I know that There is hope beyond the grave. And if you're sitting here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, pray this prayer after me quietly where you're seated. Lord Jesus, I come to you as a sinner. I believe you died for me and rose from the dead. I repent of my sin and I trust in you alone to save me. I believe you are the Son of God, and I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you're already a believer this morning and you're lukewarm, you're not where you need to be. Would you take a minute right now to do business with God and say, Lord, I want to put you first in my life because I believe the resurrection. And Just take a minute now to pray to God yourself. Father, use us here at Calvary Chapel for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name.